0: We are continuing this discussion on the tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, Diplomatic diplomatic ties have been cut. Uh, A wider proxy battle ongoing. Uh, What are the ramifications of this? Get some analysis on it. Give us your thoughts as well. Text us at pound 1013 for 51 or send us a cacao talk message. We will be joined by a couple more experts, on this issue but joining us once again here in the studio uh, from Konkuk University uh, from the uh, Center for Middle Eastern Studies research fellow professor Song Il-kwang uh, professor Song thank you for joining us once again thank uh, you the final point you made before we uh, went was how Saudi Arabia was sending a message to the United States and Iran we are not happy with this deal you made we do not think it is in our interest. Well, all this that ensued, Saudi Arabia cut diplomatic ties. And a lot of their allies, a lot of these, uh, I suppose, Sunni predominant nations. Although in in the case like Bahrain, you say it's uh, the population is a majority uh, Shia, but Bahrain, Sudan, uh, UAE, uh, Qatar, they have also either downgraded or cut ties with Iran. Are we seeing sort of then a formation of between lines of you're on their side or they're sort of like the Cold War Warsaw Pact countries and NATO-led countries, and the countries have to decide which side you're on?
1: Yes, uh, you're absolutely right. We can call this is the new. Middle Eastern Cold War came, mm. I mean, here and in, in the regions, because uh, those Sunni Gulf countries have, has no, ch- no choice to, but to follow, support the Saudis, because Saudis are the, the one of the main donors, to helping their economies, so they have no choice. So this is absolutely clear, without any, I mean, you know. Yeah.
0: We're we're also being uh, joined on the line by a uh, Middle East and Central Asian politics expert from Australia, uh, Professor Shahram Akbazadeh at Deakin University. Hello. Hello. Thank you for for having me. Well, thank you for joining us, Professor. We've been talking about the uh, tensions between Saudi Arabia and Iran. Uh, We've mentioned how there's this ongoing proxy uh, battle or war uh, fought on two fronts in Syria and in Yemen, Uh, very volatile situations there. Do you feel the latest conflicts between Saudi Arabia and Iran will exacerbate or affect what's going on in Syria and Yemen?
2: It will definitely affect them because um, Iran was uh, invited by the United States and the international community to join the talks On Syria um, late last year and uh, they are uh, supposed to resume talks again uh, at the end of the month in acknowledgement that Iran was a major player and uh, no peace deal would uh, be achieved without Iran's involvement in in peace talks. Uh, Now with this um, diplomatic breakdown of relations, it is very, very doubtful that Saudi Arabia and Iran would sit together at the same table Mm. to discuss um, Syria. And same with Yemen. Um, Saudi Arabia has been quite adamant that there is no way they would allow um, the Houthis, uh, that are assumed to be Iranian allies in Yemen, to uh, be involved in political power. So I think Saudis are... um, drawing a line in the sand, and uh, being very, very uncompromising. And um, the Iranian politics, I have to add here, is fractured. So even though President Rouhani may want to find some kind of a diplomatic solution to this crisis, there is so much pressure on him from the hardliners. Mm. These are the people who actually ransacked the Saudi embassy in Tehran. The hardliners don't want to see a diplomatic solution. They are more than happy to uh, fan the flames of um, conflict and tension. It really puts the Iranian government in a difficult situation um, and very difficult to act in accordance with his own wishes.
0: There, there is another situation obviously going on in Syria, and that is the, the battle against Daesh or Islamic State, however uh, people want to call it. Uh, this is a situation where Saudi Arabia and Iran both are uh, on the same side, so to speak. They both oppose Islamic State. Does the fight against Islamic State and this so-called U.S.-led coalition, does the dynamics change because of this rift between Saudi Arabia and Iran?
2: Well, um Iranians don't see much of a difference between Daesh and Saudi Arabia. Mm. Uh, there has been a lot of commentary in Iran linking Daesh's ideology with the Wahhabi ideology that's dominant in Saudi Arabia. So, even though Daesh has been critical and has, uh, you know, targeted Saudi Saudi Arabia, from Iranian point of view, uh, they are brothers. Mm. So, um, I don't think that. Iran and Saudi Arabia would in any way find some kind of a um, measure or means of working together to challenge Daesh.
0: And final question for you, Professor uh- we know that saudi arabia and many people in the middle east including israel uh, are very much upset about this nuclear accord signed between uh, the us led coalition and iran does this tension uh, does this somehow jeopardize that nuclear deal at all in your view
2: well i think i'd like to turn the question around and and argue that what we are seeing today with this diplomatic uh, breakdown of relationship is very much the consequence of the Saudi view of the nuclear deal. Because from the the Saudi point of view, the nuclear deal is giving Iran unprecedented resources to uh, advance its hegemonic agenda in the region. It also allows the U.S. to disengage from the region. Because from the Saudi perspective, the U.S. has been um, quite positive about the deal, And they have been reassuring that the U.S. is committed to Saudi security, but uh, when the push comes to shove, the Americans are uh, really taking a back seat. Mm. And if they think that the nuclear deal is making the region more safe, then they will feel justified, especially under Obama's leadership, the the Democratic leadership. They will feel a lot more justified to um, disengage from the Middle East. This is a real concern for Saudi Arabia, and uh, I think that explains a lot why this has happened now, why they executed the, uh, right. the Shia clerics, and why they are really escalating tensions by breaking off the diplomatic relations.
0: Uh, some very interesting insights indeed. Uh, Professor, thank you so much for joining us. Really appreciate your analysis. Thank you for having me. That was Professor Shahram Akbazada from Deakin University. Uh, we are uh, joined by uh, Dr. Il Guang as well. Professor Song, uh, what you heard so far, uh, do you agree for the most part? Any points of disagreement?
1: No, uh, I understand what his stance, I mean, stance of Iranians. Iranians see the, I mean, no difference between Daesh and the uh, Saudi Arabians. So that's a little bit exas- exaggerated. Um, so I see the the Iranians Iranians that supported all the other other I mean other terrorist groups in, in in the regions. So this is a targeted the Saudi themselves. So this kind of the mirror images. It is an exaggerate the situation. I mean deteriorate the situation now.
0: Yeah. Right. So it, then both sides have legitimate, I suppose, complaints on the others in terms of, of proxies and radical groups and, and what have you. Uh, we're also pleased to be joined uh, by another Middle East expert from Asan Institute for Policy Studies Research Fellow, uh, Dr. Chang Ji-hyang. Hello.
3: Hello. How are you?
0: I'm doing great, Dr. Chang. Thank you so much for joining us. Uh, just want to get your thoughts. I know a lot of media outlets have been asking you your opinions on this. But uh, uh, first of all, I suppose something that could affect Korea, global oil prices, uh, it's Dropped. Um, there has been tensions between the uh, two of the world's top producers, uh, Saudi Saudi Arabia and Iran. Do have different agendas as to supply and how they want to set prices. Do you think this will affect oil prices in the midterm?
3: Oh yes, um, this current Saudi Iran crisis will definitely af- affect the oil market, but in a very strange way. I mean, the two big oil um, producers are doing a chicken game by pumping their oils more and more. I mean, Saudis has been overproducing their oils anyway for about more than one year in order to protect and reserve their position in the global oil market against the shale gas development and also to pressure Iranian economy, which is waiting for the sanction lifting. In turn, Iran is dying to overproduce their oil right after the sanction uh, will lift, probably um, this um, month, I guess, so that it can catch up all the losses of uh, economy under the sanctions regime. So we will continue to see more oil production and low prices for a while.
0: Aside from oil, which is very important to South Korea, do these escalating tensions in the Middle East and everyone's worried about uh, ISIS or Daesh and the attacks in Paris and how that could happen in a country like South Korea. But what's going on between Saudi Arabia and Iran? Will that have any impact on South Korea? Uh,
3: Yes and no. I mean turmoil in the Middle East is not good for Korea's economy, of course, since more than 85 percent of energy and more than 6 percent of uh, overseas construction contracts come from the region. So, I mean, our economy is highly connected to the outside world, indeed, but the situation in the Middle East has been really bad. I mean, the worst ever, given that uh, in Syrian civil war and the fight against ISIS, The world powers have different priorities and preference, and the regional powers utilize the the chaotic situation just uh, to consolidate their domestic regime stability. But the Korean companies have been surviving this worst situation there, and the current friction between Saudi and Iran will not really make the situation terribly worse. And, and furthermore, even for those hardliners in both countries who are facilitating this turmoil right now, need to have good economies for their constituency, so, so in short, our, our companies will survive.
0: All right. Uh, well, as always, we appreciate your analysis, Dr. Chang. Uh, thank you very much for joining us. Hope to see you in the studio one day in the future. Thank you. Thank that was Dr. Chang Ji-hyang from Asan Institute for Policy Studies. Uh, Dr. Uh, Professor Sungil il uh, you've been hearing the uh, opinions of these other various analysts. Uh, any, any thoughts on what you just heard so
1: far? Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, I don't think any I mean, immediate I mean, damages, I mean, all markets on other economies, damages on the Korean economy, but we don't know the, how this I mean, crisis will go. So we need to prepare, I mean, the worst scenarios um, mm. as much as we can, I think. That's a very important point. So our government should prepare something.
0: I was uh, speaking to a Kuwaiti journalist on our program earlier, uh, uh, this uh, recently in, on this program, and he, were, he was telling me off-air that a lot of Korean... Uh, of business officials and uh, ministry officials come to him and ask him for advice. Um, we have so many companies doing these massive construction projects and we need more manpower. Uh, we need Arabic experts. And so can you tell us, give us um, recommendations of where we can send our workers to, to learn Arabic? And he basically told them nowhere. Do not send them anywhere. He said, "There's no place to. He's, there's no legitimate place to send them to study in a safe manner because he's saying the Gulf states are not necessarily the most conducive place to properly uh, to learn. But you can't really go to Saudi Arabia or Iraq or or any of these places where you could typically learn it. No,
1: nowadays, I mean, all this more, many Korean students uh, who want want to learn Arabic, they go to Jordan. Mm, okay, that's a I mean, comparatively the safe countries nowadays. Egypt, a little bit, you know, danger, but many students go to Jordan nowadays.
0: Okay, so there yeah. is that, and so I think the consensus is, and and again, it's a bit insular to say so, but with South Korea being geographically far apart, and of course, there is a big economic interest there, not just import of oil, but also these massive construction projects that are going on. Uh, the impact has, or looks to be, uh, limited, especially since they have had various other times of tension and violence and even war break out, and it hasn't severely affected South Korean interests there so far. Uh, Generally, though, what do you think we can expect to see in the days... We've been talking, there's a proxy war going between Shia and uh, Sunni forces in Yemen. uh, Also a proxy war going on in Syria. Of course, a host of players, Russia, United States-led coalition, uh, Daesh, um, the the Assad regime, and these various rebel groups. But is there any possibility of a head-on actual military confrontation between Saudi Arabia and Iran?
1: Uh, I say no. At the moment, I don't see any immediate, any military confrontation between two countries. I don't see it, but we don't, nobody can predict exactly, but uh, I, I'll give you one condition. United States should, I mean, intervene in order to tone down the atmosphere here, get two countries to get on the table, and mediate as tone down the situation now. That's the only way. There's only country who can, I mean, diffuse the tension between two countries. I think so. UN cannot do that. So only the United only States. Only United States can do that. Um, I I should. I think U.S. already prepared something to okay. uh, sending someone secretary or yeah.
0: This is more of a I suppose a a, a look back and hindsight uh, being 2020 question, but overall, in your expert opinion. How much do we have to blame the United States? I, and we can all go into the debate of the whole legitimacy of the 2003 invasion of Iraq, uh, post 9-11, looking for a reason to, to go in there, whether it was uh, world weapons of mass destruction or liberating this, uh, uh, country from this horrible dictator, Saddam Hussein. What I've heard the uh, analysis is, Doc, uh, Professor Song is that Iraq under that brutal dictatorship of Saddam Hussein, served as sort of what uh, North Korea is serving with the Chinese interest is a bit of a buffer state between Saudi Arabia and Iran and then these other regional players who were siding by each one because of this uh, Ba'ath Party-led government there. Syria, of course, also Ba'ath Party-led government to uh, sojourn status over um, countries like Lebanon, and there was that delicate balance there, but once the U.S. came in and toppled that regime, it really just upset this whole situation, and that's why we've led to all these various situations leading to today and Saudi Arabia. I mean, is it legitimate to say, some people can say, we blame the United States for this? I
1: think... We can do. We can blame. We can blame it. Because exactly as you mentioned, what the U.S. did in Iraq just uh, toppled Saddam Hussein. So what we got here, insurgency, and finally we got IS there. Just because of that, the, the, the current, I mean, president of the United States, Barack Obama, he said he will not... Make any another war in the region. He does, because of he does because of this he does not intervene the situation in the Syria. Just don't. I mean, this is the Obama's. I mean, you know, foreign policy. But the question is, uh, I know the U.S. has. I mean, a huge dilemma or to participate or intervene or not. But, but uh, many. I mean, experts blame on the situation in Syria because of if U.S. I mean, intervene in the earlier, the first stage of the, I mean, uh, civil yeah. war in the Syria. Maybe you, Maybe you, U.S. can prevent, I mean, the emergency of the I.S. Uh, yes, that's true. But, but this is someone who criticized his, I mean, foreign policy. Right. But on the other side, as I told you, after U.S. invade Syria and then do something, and after that, what are we going to do then? Yeah. So this, this is I a mean, big, huge dilemma facing the yeah. I mean, U.S.
0: As why you're saying only the U.S. is going to be having any role in terms of trying to mediate some kind of agreement. That being said, I guess that's the final question. Is there any optimism? Is there any room for compromise between these two countries? And what do you think some of the major points of contention that need to be resolved to finally try to get some kind of a truce? So
1: uh, U.S. should show they are neutral between two countries, I mean, facing the between two countries. Saudi's, I mean, views, U.S. is too close, too close to, I mean, Iran. So they see this is that's not good. They're not happy with it. But that's true. That's not of their best interest. So this is a natural thing. So U.S. should show they still very support the Saudis. They are very good ally of U.S. They should show some, I mean, confidence. Also, they, sh- they should show the same confidence to Iran. I know this is very difficult, but there, there's no other options. This is the only way to settle down the tensions in the, in the region nowadays.
0: Yeah, well, as we've seen, you say, when the U.S. tries to play a mediating dispute between Israel and, and Palestine and, and this idea of being that neutral broker, it doesn't work that way because obviously people's uh, perceptions are, are very much different. and. It, uh, Professor Song, you've highlighted how complicated the situation is. I mean, just within an hour, we're obviously not even scratching the surface as to the complexities and some of the uh, inherent problems involved uh, with trying to solve, as you point out, a very big dilemma in the Middle East. Uh, But we are going to have to leave it there, and uh, we appreciate all the insights that uh, you've provided for us. As always, thank you so much for joining us, Professor, and hope to see you again soon. Thank you very much.
1: Thank you so much.